Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Team Up with Steely, and joining me to review all the feeder series action from Down Under is Senor Jesse Billington. How are you today? Uh, I'm tired of my legs hurt, but if you've already listened to the standard Grand Prix recording preview review thing, what's it? God, I'm tired as well. You'll know exactly why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Plus, it's a Monday. I'm always tired on Mondays. How are you? Much better than you, which uh, is not a high bar, I admit. But after doing two all-nighters for the Formula 2 and Formula 3, I'm rather refreshed and all the better for it because it was some jolly good entertainment and I just want to get straight into it. And which amusingly starts on Friday because Formula 2 is where we're going to kick off with qualifying and our favourite Japanese driver, Ayumi Iwasa, on pole position. Speedy boy back on top. We love to see it. We love to see it. We love to see it. Things we didn't love to see, however, as amusing as it kind of was, because granted, on the one hand, it is the first time for feeder series at Albert Park, but at the same time, getting to the starting grid is kind of a given. And Enzo Fittipaldi and Ralph Boschong both managed to fail at this by crashing out before they even lined up on the grid. Impressive in all the wrong ways. So that was already an interesting way to start off the sprint race. Doohan then later on spun out by Correa on lap 14, which caused a safety car. There was a bit of rain-ish too. It was thinking about it and didn't quite do it. The safety car then got called in, which meant that obviously Brad Benavides promptly crashed and brought it back out again. And in amongst all of that, we had some pretty decent and tasty racing, which resulted in Dennis Hauger getting P1, Jack Crawford getting up in P2, which was a nice surprise because he's kind of been around, but we've not been seeing near the top of anything for his entire time in the feeder series so far. And then Kush Miney, again, kind of the dark horse of Formula 2 this year in P3. It was a very tasty podium. Yeah, very tasty stuff indeed. I will admit, I didn't see a lot of the feeder series action over the weekend. I sort of watched snippets of it on the socials and highlights-wise because I was sort of actually busy with my sister's graduation and then a half marathon because I haven't mentioned I did that yet. Um, but yeah, uh, crashing on the way to the grid is not something you expect to happen. But yeah, seeing Jackie Moon, Jack Crawford... Especially in a dry race. Especially in a dry race, yeah. I can understand it if it's sort of torrential rain, sort of uh, spa or something, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jackie Moon really making some moves and stamping his name on the F2 season so far is a nice thing to see. And he's not been terrible so far, in all honesty. Uh, I can't remember where he sits overall in the standings um, off the top of my head. So let me have a quick check of my big notes. Uh, Crawford is 15th, so it uh, could be doing better. But yeah, to have your only points so far scored as a P2, <laughs> bless me, not bad. So, uh, yeah, positive to see Jack Crawford finally really getting his feet under the table, and we'll see where he progresses from here. Yeah, about that feature race, he was out after contact with doing in turn 11. Pure racing incident, but yeah, your comment did not age well there at all. Doing before then did have some absolutely sublime overtaking, though. It was very nice to see that. Um, Behrman then got a puncture under the safety car, which was quite interesting because no one could obviously overtake him because you can't overtake anyone whilst under the safety car and I don't think I've ever seen that before um, so that was quite amusing as everyone had to slow way down then doing with a safety car tyre strategy that was incredibly ballsy because he went in and pitted as you have to in Formula 2 for the mandatory pit stop change onto the other tyre compound then came in again and changed back onto I think it was the which I think it was the soft tyre because at that point he could push it to the end of the race and essentially had done everything he needed to do and if it had it was kind of 
reminded me of attempting Budapest last year, Jesse, and making your way up through the field that way. But unfortunately, it didn't quite work out as well as he would have liked it because he finished P9 in the end. But I've got to admire the strategy and the balls for that because if there had been slightly less incidents later on, that could have been quite cool. Yeah, to quote the line from uh, Baby Driver, you've got to admire the balls on that kid. And it was... uh, the. The double jack collision was an interesting one. I think it was possibly a little too bold too much. Um, but yeah, the overall result of the feature race was good, I think, definitely. And we saw some some interesting moves through it. Yeah, I mean, it took a while for us to get there. And we had four or five cars wide at some stage, all kind of tussling with each other, which led to a friend of the podcast, Alex Brundle, making an excellent Quidditch bludger reference by saying they're all just like bludgers out there. And Alex Jake's just kind of in awe of him at getting a Harry Potter reference into a Formula 2 race. Um, but we'd love to see that. Nisani then crashed out after what was already a turbulent race for him. And Vestin Fittipaldi went to when the When doesn't have Nisani have a turbulent yeah. race? True, it, it, it is. That's very true. Um, yeah, Vesti went into the gravel and just coming out of the pits, but managed to keep it going. And Fittipaldi also managed to keep it going, but not for much longer because his resuspension just absolutely failed on him moments later and crashed out just slightly uh, down the road from Nisani. And so, causing a safety car again to come out for a few laps. Then, just as we were about to get started again with the smattering of laps left, Dennis Haug and Victor Martins, who were comfortably inside the top 10, spun out at T13. And it was essentially Martins locking up and running into the back of Hauger, which was just really unfortunate and just screwed them both there, which again, echoing some of the stuff we had in Formula One with the likes of Sargent and De Vries there, just cold tyres, not many laps left to go, and bugger all you can do about it. So, in the end, Iwasa managed to keep everyone at bay. He finished in P1 with Porcher then in P2. Couldn't quite get to up and past Iwasa. Leclerc then got promoted to P3. His first Formula 2 podium kind of somehow managed to go against himself and stay out of trouble this time and just keep his head down. And then Vesti, after the nearly taking himself out earlier on in the race, was in P4, which uh, keeps his championship hopes alive, obviously, after his future race win in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I mean, overall, not bad for Vesti. He uh, hops up one position in the overall standings. Leclerc, like you said, had a a very good weekend overall for him. And again, compared to his performance in Bahrain, um, when you look at the leaps he's made since then, he's gone from completely overdriving the car to having properly sort of found his form with the vehicle and the chassis. It's a lot stronger, P4 in the sprint, and then obviously a podium in the feature. So really promising stuff from him up seven places overall in the standings. So again, while it's early days in F2, there's a lot of sort of tight packaging with all the points sort of quite sort of neatly distributed at the moment. He's put himself into fifth overall, which isn't bad, but I mean, the big talking point has got to be Iwasa taking the lead of the championship now after that sort of fairly competent feature race win. And an absolutely terrible weekend for Ralph Bosch over there. I mean, not making it to the start of a sprint race automatically doesn't help you, but then in the future race just was nowhere. And we were very much hoping that his Bahrain performance was to flash in the pan, but it's starting to look like it might have been, unfortunately, which he didn't have a brilliant time in Saudi. It was all right-ish from memory, but it wasn't anywhere near Bahrain, and this is definitely not helping him. And Iwasa, you don't need to tell him twice. He just kind of... He does... He does a, he's kind of 
Yuki, but better when he was in F2. He's there, he's got his elbows out, he pushes for it, but he just seems to be nearer the top more often than the Yuki was when he was in F2. And it's it's nice to see that we've got this strong, if small line of, and not just in a height sense, small line of Japanese drivers coming through that are talented and can keep pushing it. And I'm thinking he's at the very, very least in the championship contention at Wasa. Oh, for certain, after the performances we've seen, he's in contention for the championship. And I mean, when you, I'm just trying to remind myself of the F1 Academy driver lineup because have we got a Japanese driver in there? I can't remember if we do. I don't think so. Don't think so. No, we've got Chloe Chong. Is it Chloe Chong? Yeah, Chloe Chong lined yeah, up British. for it, but British driver. Um, no, I didn't. I was wondering if, um, what's it from? Series. Yeah, had made the jump. She's also in Formula Regional stuff in Europe, I think, and doing mm. an absolute sublime job there, winning stuff left, right, and centre, to be fair mm. to her. Just trying to remember um, where my other Japanese junior drivers are really scattered about the place. Yeah, no, we need to yeah, keep a tighter leash on them. But it was mm. excellent Formula 2 weekend anyway, and proof that they should definitely come back to Albert Park next year. Mm. So interesting stuff. But obviously, we also didn't have just Formula Two making its debut in Albert Park. We had Formula Three as well, which saw Bortoletto on pole and uh, the brilliant note of Alex Brundle coming out with the phrase a swarm of Formula Three cars. So yes, a we lot now of know what multiple F3 cars are called together. And a swarm is, seems very appropriate, to be honest, especially 30 cars around Albert Park, Jesse. It was just delicious. It was constant chaos everywhere you looked that's just formula three every race though <laughs> to be fair that's but, not melbourne park specific but more so when you hem them in with walls all around and give them a relatively fast demanding circuit all i will say is if that's what we get for melbourne then monaco with f3 is going to be good fun oh, so yes. for the sprint race we had montoya on reverse pole gothen crashed out foreshadowing Leclerc on lap one turn three. Browning had a nice on the curbs tribute at a couple of points, I think turn nine and ten. Tommy Smith then also had a Vettel Malaysia tribute crash with uh, his rear tyre kind of folding in on itself and uh, in quite impressive fashion. And then a fourth safety car. Bear in mind this is a sprint race. <laughs> uh, first race of the weekend as well for the Formula Series and this is how we start off by Jens's Alex Garcia. I can't remember entirely what happened to him but it just it card just went boom. Um, so in we thought we had Colapinto P1 over the line with O'Sullivan P2 and Montoya P3 but as is always the case it's not over till it's over and all three MP motorsport cars got disqualified for technical infringements which ooh that's got to suck major balls and so in the end O'Sullivan inherited the win P1 still fully deserved because it was very close racing Montoya P2 and then Paul Aron for Prima in P3 meaning a double Prima podium and Paul Aron's first podium in Formula 3 so it really started as it meant to go on for the weekend yeah, the sort of pattern for F3 emerged quite early on and just sort of built itself from there, really. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that Ida Cohen also had a crash in it as well. I can't, don't think he made yeah, the notes possible. there. Uh, yes, yeah, he did. He was, uh, let's see, dinner on lap five, collision oh, damage. One of the safety well. cars. Yeah, he did not have a good time in the feature race either. Again, collision damage and retired that time lap 11. 
Um, so yeah, mixed bag across the grid, but yeah, interesting results certainly for Colapinto, Boyer, and Edgar. Originally doing relatively well, but then uh, disqualified. So unfortunate there. Yes, not good at all. The feature race then was a different story with Montoya out at T11 after contact with Christian Mansell. Very unfortunate. It didn't seem too bad, but again, you don't need much of a touch in this form of racing for it to go absolutely awfully for you. Colapinto then had a bad weekend going even worse as he crashed out at T5, meaning despite winning a race on track, it was a pointless weekend for him. Mary Boyer then crashed out at T9 after a decent shunt with Solov, who seemed to be cursing everyone he got near throughout the entirety of the future race and was kind of a, let's not try and get too near him at any point because we don't want him in front of us, we don't want him behind us, something bad's going to happen there. Uh, Kaelin Frederick was then out too as he drove into Solov, but uh, Solov somehow made it out of that. Whereas Nicky then went out in the final corner on lap six and then managed to kind of save everyone a bit of hassle by driving diagonally into the pit lane and saving himself the bother of bringing out a safety car and all that kind of stuff. So nice of him to at least clear himself up there. Um, and as we mentioned, Cohen was out at T4. Villagomez punted him out, unfortunately. So that was that. Then Nicky Bezrin crashed out on the final lap because we hadn't had enough crashing at point. And throughout all of that, he somehow managed to get Bortoletto in P1 to convert his pole position, Gregoire Saucy in P2, and Gabriel Mini, again being consistent, in P3. And uh, unfortunately, Cocolette, one of the few to stay in Formula 3 from last year, had an issue on the last lap after contact with Dino Boganovic and put him from the top 10 all the way down to P16, which is just very, very unfortunate to get on the last lap. It was again just sort of typical F three chaos, yeah, yeah. But it was incredibly entertaining and well worth me getting up at. Well, I was still awake, so I'm not entirely sure what time it was at, but I was awake for it anyway, and it was jolly entertaining. Mm, you were just sort of conscious for essentially a yeah, sort of fr- over fr- Friday morning until time. Sunday night. I was just kind of oh, I was conscious and I was around and more awake than I was expecting to be at rough times of day when everyone else was probably asleep. So interesting results though across the board and again keeps the F3 pandemonium going. Where are we off to next with Formula 3? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think Imola is Okay, so we've got them all in Imola once we've gotten out of Azerbaijan. We've got F2 in Azerbaijan this year. F2 in Azerbaijan, I'm pretty sure, Um, but not F3. They're not that mad. Yeah, we've got. I think they're uh, keeping them out of places like that in Jeddah for for deliberate reasons. <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, F two in Baku, and then Imola will head to with both of them in well in tow. I won't say intact, but certainly in tow. No, no, definitely not. But we also have before we move on to drivers that stood out to us as we started it in Bahrain with Formula Three. We'll continue it, and because I've not thought of a better name for this yet, Flush Watch. So Q twenty four. And out-qualified her teammates, which I'm pretty sure is the second round in a row she's done that, so that's very nicely done. Sprint race, again, kind of had this for both the sprint race and the feature race. We said this in Bahrain a little bit as well, but not quite to this extent. You do have to survive Formula 3 a lot of the time. That is half the battle, and she managed that both races, and so managed to get up from P24 to P16 in the sprint race. Then started P23 for the actual feature race because of Ida Cohen's five-place grid penalty, which he just had a terrible weekend. Two DNFs and then a five-place grid penalty for the second race where he gets punted out anyway, so it doesn't matter. 
but it helped Sophia, so we're all good there. She got pushed wide at T11 early doors, but managed to keep her foot in and not crash and plowed on. So that was excellent. P18, P18 in the end, and survived Solov, who was around her for a good portion of the race. And she beat both her teammates in the races again, too. So very much turning into a team leader there for PHM, which is nice to see. And again, whilst not near the points as much as we wanted to, in terms of the overall standings, we see for if if, if the worst happens and she doesn't get any points for the season, she should still be a decent weight up the standings because of her finishing and finishing in a decent enough place compared to all those that will be behind her. Her finishes, her results this weekend, while again, we say it's sort of pointless, the actual overarching result and her driving this weekend, I would say, stood out far more than it did in Bahrain, certainly. And as much as there were cars ahead of her retiring and a lot of chaos, that survival thing, yes, you have to be able to survive Formula 3, you've also got to thrive in it. But I think we're seeing a lot more of the thrive come through with Flush, which is what we want to see happen through the season. We want to see this development of a driver. So, Especially after so long out of Formula 3, she's only had two races back in, essentially, to get up to speed with everything. Very little time for, for training and practice and all this kind mm. of thing. So it's it's going in the right direction. If she can keep building on that, then round three, round four, maybe, especially, especially Monaco, if she can survive Monaco, then mm. there's potential for points there. Yeah, I think we'll see certainly further developments of her driving as the season goes on. I don't think we're that far off flush points. But again, it'll be the right race and the right ability, right mix of survive and thrive for her to to net a few points at the which tail is, end of the feature a, race. Again, something we could say for any driver in Formula Three, really, for a lot of it, because surviving and thriving is just it's bread and butter. I think few of them are struggling to survive at the moment, so I think that's yes. sort of the line we're on. She's passing the survive bit. We've now got to see if we can sort of make that next step. Use positive emotion to push her towards the thrive so we can finally see some sort of female talent marching its way through the feeder series. That's what we want to see at the end of this. And, is, and most importantly, she's named her car finally. It's called Bobby. Oh, does she name her cars? Is that a thing she does? Yes, yeah, she was putting up a big poll on, on Instagram for various suggestions and she finally settled on one. It wasn't Kari McCarface, it was Bobby. Think... And, and it wasn't, unfortunately, as I suggested multiple times, Dave. Uh, I think Bobby would have been a really good one for the Mercedes last year. but It would have been. It would have been. Especially if it had a pink for... livery at any point. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a blobby, rather. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a porpoising joke for those of you out there. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to drivers that stood out, and we'll start off with Formula 2. Timo, your choice of driver from Formula 2. Push Miney, which I kind of called this very early in the weekend, and then I just stuck with it because he made a ball a move on Maloney to T11 in the sprint race and I just thought the amount of crap that we gave him in the, our season preview for Formula 3 is immediately gone out the window it would seem and he just seems to thrive a lot better here than he does in F3 which is curious because you normally see a little bit of symmetry between the two or of, of even if it's good symmetry or bad symmetry it's like Nissan you're either bad in F3 and then bad in F2 or you're kind of saying Maloney you're good in F3 and you're good in F2 you don't generally have a lot of bad in F3, great in F2. So it's been a very nice prize, and that overtake was just chef's kiss. Mm, some strong performances from him, really, and I think slowly beginning to sort of flourish or at least find his feet and prove his form. So He we'll may take how... over as being a team leader at this point if Boshan can't get his act together. It depends. I think Boshong might have had a sort of subpar weekend, but I don't think this is going to mark Boshong's overall form. I still rank Boshong over Miney overall, I think I have to say. 
That's fair. Jesse, you've gone for a more route one answer. Um, yeah, route one, Iwasa, really favourite of the podcast. And from what I saw across the weekend, he seems to be really putting something together. So, uh, yeah, I'm just just excited for what he can sort of bring to the rest of this season and have a feeling that it's going to be damned impressive indeed what he does. So, yeah, got got big hopes for the little guy. Talking of damn impressive, Formula 3, despite crashing qualifying, Pepe Marti gets it for me because he made up for it just so very nicely because he went from P30 on the grid and made it all the way up to P13 for the sprint and then made it all the way up to P9 in the feature race, which is no mean feat. And he was just on fire and it was great to see him. He's one of the few returning drivers from last year and it clearly has been a case of one season, learn your stuff, season two, go for it. And this is the kind of stuff we needed from Arthur Leclerc last year when he had terrible qualifying. He'd make it up in the race, but he wouldn't make it too high. And Pepe Marte straight away into the points in his future race where it matters the most. Sprint race, again, not too far off. It probably just ran out of laps with four safety cars. To do all of that in that time, very impressive. Mm. I mean, he's a pretty good shout. I mean, I'm flicking back through my results, through the notes. I think I'm going to have to go down the line of something like Zach O'Sullivan, really. Uh, Feature race wasn't exactly a sparkler from him, P5 start, P5 finish. But again, it's solid points of what you need to be consistent, sort of competing for. But when it comes to the sprint race, starting down in P8 and then coming home to win the sprint overall, essentially once you've had the other guys wiped out ahead of you. Um, But overall, his drive for that, race that sprint was not a bad drive so again it's deserving of the points that he got so uh yeah not too shabby nice driving overall there which leads us nicely into the new standings that we have for formula two following this weekend because boshong is no longer leading the way he's not even in the top three as Iyuma Iwasa has taken charge of the championship with 58 points table chair in second place with 50 and frederick vesti just sneaking around in the background in P3 with 42 points. I think he could be a dark horse if I haven't just jinxed him. Certainly one to keep an eye on. I like the fact they're currently all spread by eight points between each of them. So that's that's a nice bit of symmetry there. Meanwhile, in the constructors' standings, you've got Dems now. Very strong weekend for them, especially from the sprint race. You've got 91 points there for them up out in first place. You've got ART in second with 67 points, and then MP Motorsport last year's champions in third place with 62 points. Interesting that Dams already have such a big gap, but at the same time, there is still an awful lot to play for. There's a lot to play for, but I think it helps that both Dams you've got, um, obviously, Awasa and Leclerc, isn't Leclerc. it? I think so. Yeah, yeah really strong weekend for, for both of their drivers, which no doubt will have helped them sort of harvest some points and open up a bit of a gap there. So, yeah, solid stuff in the Formula 2 realm. Unsurprisingly, in Formula 3, Bortoletto is leading the way and getting a bit of a lead out. He's got 58 points already after two rounds. And uh, Gregoire Saucy, the more experienced driver, it's got to be said, is 20 points back, as I say, with 30 points. And newcomer Dino Boganovic with 28 points, a further 10 points back for third place. Interesting spread already. And again, if that's kind of how many points the top three have for each of them, and you look slightly further down the order, it just shows the true chaos going on behind them, that it's going to be tough for anyone. You kind of need these three and the top five essentially to have some really bad weekends soon for anyone else to kind of challenge, because otherwise Botletto is already looking like he could run away with this. Yeah, I mean, he's 20 points ahead of his next nearest rival. So, I mean, he could. he's relying on essentially 
Saucy is relying on Bortoletto to not score any points in a feature race and him score a win to get close and overtake him. But again, you're anything can happen in Formula Three, obviously. But yeah, when you look down the sort of the rest of the point scoring thing, we've got 50, 58 points right the way down to two is our lowest score currently, Taylor Barnard. But even if you look inside the top 10, you've got a spread from Luke Browning with 14 points right up to Bortoletto's 58. It's a big, big spread. But as you say, anything can happen. And with some of the race places that we have come up, I mean, Imola, it doesn't really matter where you go in Formula 3, it's always crazy. So even a dull a duller track like Imola could be absolute cracker for Formula 3 going around there. So who knows what's going to happen there. Constructors-wise, we've got Trident out in first with 100 points to their name already, which is mental after two rounds. You've got Premier in second place with 70 points and High Tech Pulse 8 in third place with 54 points. I mean, we say it's mental. You've got to bear in mind they've got an extra 50% chance of scoring points than you would do in, say, Formula 2 or Formula 1 because you've got three cars I know, it's just team. still silly. It seems like IndyCar it, kind of points. <laughs> it does just seem odd. It's a bit like IndyCar or like uh, Indianapolis 500 where you can score all sorts of different points for loads of different things. Trying to understand the scoring for some of their weird races gets a bit odd, but hey, we love we'll them We'll leave it. that for a separate podcast. But yeah. all in all, it was a very strong weekend for both Formula 2 and Formula 3 and definitely worth them coming to Melbourne and I hope we get to see them there next year and if not I hope that this at least opens the door for other tracks that don't have F3 races currently for them to try it out because it shows that for a first time it kind of gave you a bit of everything gave you the safety cars gave you the close racing gave you plenty of drama and again in Formula 2 I think we've had six races now and you've got five different winners across that which is not too shabby, and Iwasa being the only repeat winner there. Which we're not going to moan about. We love Iwasa. No. But hear me out. Feeder series go to Brazil. I'm all right with that. Again, I feel like F2 needs to spread its um, its, its championship out a little bit further. That gap to Abu Dhabi every year is just ridiculous. Formula mm. 3 is a little trickier because they're always kind of wrapped up around Monza-ish. Um, so I don't know how we would trick them into doing that, but I'm all for it. Formula Three would be fun. Singapore would just be deadly. Um, but for, Formula Three, I think we could. I'd be happy with it finishing in Monza. I feel that it then gives drivers the opportunity to go and do a quick winter series or something. But with Formula True. Two, generally speaking, you don't need that as much. And having that extra race in Brazil, an extra round or something, if, even if it's just the one extra round, it would be nice and not just here's a five month break, come back in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it would break it up a little bit more and equally. Brazil is a bit of a different circuit. You've got this sort of weird elevation change through the opening sector. You've got the often changing weather conditions. It just throws a few more challenges at an F2 driver, which I think is something that's useful to have when it comes to developing a sort of portfolio of talent and skill. So I think, yeah, if I was to if I was to add one circuit to the F2 calendar, Brazil would be mine. I'll throw the same question to you then. You can add one circuit to the F2 calendar. What are you adding? If I can't have Brazil, then I'm thinking because I always want a little bit. I don't mind having a little bit of stuff later on in the year because we kind of we panic for like the first half of the year with we've got too much stuff and then it's all done by like Monza and then because even with the F2 and Abu Dhabi we still don't have anything. We've got like three months of just oh it's just nice it's F1 we don't have to worry about anything else. So I'd maybe go Japan. Ooh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Either for F2 or F3, because that would just be fun there. I mean, 30 cars around Suzuka would just be fun anyway, but Formula 2, it's it's dicey enough that I'd swap Imola for Japan in a heartbeat. Mm. I think Japan's wide enough that you could 
get away certainly with the F3 grid being so sort of bustly on it. The other thing I was thinking of would be Mexico. Really different, really unique Hit challenging. or miss, I think. I mean, we see that Formula E has excellent racing there except for this year, but the Formula 1's been a little bit duff the last couple of years and maybe the feeder series would switch that up nicely. Yeah. But I still wouldn't choose it over Brazil or Japan. I think also where the F2 and F3 isn't quite so aerodynamically demanding it wouldn't have the same difference against the rest of their feet a season because obviously if you're not don't need as much downforce as the card naturally when you wipe it out and you get to mexico it won't make too great a difference so it'd be an interesting one certainly but brazil is still my my overall shout for where we should send f2 i'll be happy with that but at the moment that is all we have time for maybe we'll delve into that in a separate podcast at some point because or if you have thoughts about it get in touch oh, yes, on the, the socials yeah. in the comments let us know where would you send formula 2 for an extra race in its calendar but yes that is all we have time for for this episode and we have a bit of a break now we have two as we do with f1 because baku is about a million years away so we will be back in the meantime, though, with some extra content. We do have an F1 Academy episode that we are going to be doing to make up for the feeder series stuff because we're going to be doing a who's who to make sure you're all across that before that season starts at the end of April in Valencia, which uh, makes sense, probably. Um, so do keep your eyes and ears peeled for that and make sure we've liked, subscribed and got a notification turned on for everything Undercut Podcast across all the social platforms. We'll plug it all in the description below if you're not already following all of us anyway, which you should be. Why aren't you? Go and do it now. Go, go. And in the meantime, Jesse, where can people find you aside from here? Um, aside from here, people can find me on the social medias on Instagram and Twitter, uh, where I'm at Jesse on Cars, and uh, you can also find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. So uh, writing about all sorts of old cars, doing road test reviews, events, you name it, I'm up to it. So all sorts of very busy things there. Timo, where can we find you? Yeah, yes, you can find me over on Is It Faster. I've got a brand new interview piece slash kind of profile piece on yeah. mindset coach danielle simpson she's great go and check that out you can also find me over on, on the curbs the nitro x podcast paddock sorority and instagram of course in the meantime that is us that is it for the both of us rather it's getting late we're getting a bit tongue-tied and uh, thank you very much for listening and we will be back soon <laughs>